They came seeking, seeking to flee tyranny, fleeing propaganda, fleeing prejudice, fleeing per persecution, really. And the copper lady who stood at the gate, she declared, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, the tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Someone recounted, she was a beautiful sight. After a miserable crossing that September, she held such promise for us all with her arm flung high, the torch lighting the way, opening a new world to those who would, who would accept the challenge. They were pilgrims in a land that was not yet their own, but would soon be their home. They would create a new world, a new culture. They came full of hope, seeking life, a fresh start, a chance to become something more, an opportunity to fulfill their dreams. They came seeking life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Did they find it? Is that what we have today? I mean, certainly we look at this point in history and we see all the advances that we have in technology, advances in science, in agriculture, advances in art. All these things that some are saying are enhancing our quality of life. And yet at the same time, we see a culture that is increasingly bent on removing any thought, idea, or appreciation of God out of the equation. And my big question that I'd like to answer for us this morning is, can you have life, liberty, and happiness apart from God? Many would say, absolutely, yes, you can have it. And yet as we look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 4, we look at the creation of the first civilization. Well, that tells a very different story. Would you turn with me to the book of Genesis? We're in chapter 4, and we will be reading from verse 17 to the end of the chapter this morning. Would you stand as we read from God's word out of honor, out of respect, out of just all-out awe that we have these words of truth at our fingertips? says this in verse 17, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zelah. Adah bore Jabel. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Adah, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me. 
a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son, called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Last week, we talked about the way of Cain, and we said, this is not a good way. It's a way in which people will give themselves over to, to almost any kind of vice in the search for personal gain, where they become the judge of good and evil, where they take matters into their own hands, where they go out and get, their, get theirs, no matter how low they have to stoop or who they have to hurt. In essence, we said, it's all about worship. That's what's going on here. That's what the way of Cain is all about. It's about exchanging the worship of Almighty God for worship of things that should never be worshipped. And it led Cain to murder his younger brother. Now imagine the heartbreak of Cain's parents, of Adam and Eve. Imagine the horror of discovering that one of your children killed, intentionally killed, your other child. Imagine the questions that would have just been continually circling your brain. Imagine the guilt that you would feel. Thinking, what if, what if I could have done something? Should I, should I have said that to them? Should I have raised them different? Maybe I should have spent more time with them. Maybe I shouldn't have done that or that or exposed them to this. You know, thankfully, the vast majority of parents will never have to go through that kind of suffering. But here, right at the beginning of human existence, the first two children that were born, we see it happening. Imagine being Cain. Imagine the, the, the shame, the guilt, the rejection you would have experienced from your parents, from other siblings that, that eventually showed up. Imagine the isolation. Imagine the loneliness. What do you do now? Is this life of mine even really worth living? God said to Cain in Genesis 4.12 that he would be a fugitive, that he would be a wanderer. He said, work is going to get harder for you. The land, it was already cursed because of the sin of your parents, but now it's going to get harder. Now it's going to get more difficult to work. Things are not looking good for this guy. He's just about as low as you could possibly get. Someone would look at him and say, what a miserable wretch. What a pathetic existence. What, what a future he has to look forward to. Anyone who looked at Cain would have said, you know, it's probably game over for that guy. He might as well go out and kill himself. But that wasn't Cain. No, that wasn't Cain. This guy was a fighter. I think this guy was a firm believer that if I put my mind to it, I can accomplish it. Never say die. Never say quit. Don't listen to anyone who says you can't do it or you're a loser. Remember that 90s song by Beck, You're a Loser or I'm a Loser Baby? 
It also says in that song, it says, I'm a driver. I'm a winner. Things are going to change. I can feel it. I think that was Cain. There's something admirable about that, that kind of attitude, isn't there? It's, it's the underdog who says, no, I don't accept defeat. I'm going to be something. So what happened to Cain after everything fell apart? After he had just taken that grenade and tossed it into his family relationships and into his relationship with God, what happened to him? Well, he's successful. He's very successful. Things start looking up for Cain. After settling in the, the land of Nod that was east of Eden, we see that, that he knew his wife. He found a wife. Now, some of you might be thinking, how on earth did he find a wife? Where did this girl come from? I thought the only people that were living on this planet that were walking the face of the earth were Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. Well, Abel's gone, so it's the three of them now. Where's Cain finding a wife? Did God create more people that we didn't hear about? We've got to remember that Adam and Eve, they had more children. Genesis 5.4 says, The days of Adam, after he had fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. There's our answer right there. How many kids can you have in 800 years? <laughs> My parents managed to have eight. The Duggars have had 19. Someone said they're cheaper by the dozen. The Guinness Book of World Records records officially the, the woman who had the most number of children had 69 children. I'll probably mispronounce her name. Feodor Vasilev gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, four sets of quadruplets. And if you do the math, and I did it this morning, it does add up to 69. Now, there's some debate. Was it 69? Some people think there was more. Yikes. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Can you imagine? I thought just having two kids was a challenge. 800 years. How many kids? How many people were roaming the face of this planet? It's very possible there were a lot of people on the earth in no small in, in a small amount of time. And don't forget, these people, 800 years? You, you look at, at chapter 5, you see people living even longer than that. This was incredible. How long did it take Cain before he found a sister, maybe a granddaughter of Adam and Eve, that, that, would, that would marry him? Now some might say, whoa, whoa wait a second. Someone, I, I, okay, I get that there may have been women out there, but who's going to marry this guy? The world's first murderer. Who's going to go after that guy? Well, you know, I don't know you other guys, but in high school, I was looking around, and I, I thought I was a pretty clean cut, pretty, pretty uh, you know, I, I had a, my whole life ahead of me. I was diligent in my studies. I thought I was going places, and I thought, you know, I'd be a good candidate for any of those girls on that campus, but for some reason, they were always going after the bad boys. You know what I'm talking about? Going after those guys who are just making a mess of their life. They don't care about their grades. They don't care about their family. They don't care about anything. And somehow that is appealing. Now, I don't know if that was going on in Cain's uh, wife's mind thinking, ah, yeah, here's, a, here's the guy I want. I don't know if that's what was going on. But at any rate, he found a wife. And before long, she has a son that they name Enoch. Enoch. Then Cain builds a city. 
Now, when we think of the word city, we're thinking city. We're thinking metropolis. It probably wasn't a metropolis that he constructed. Could have been, but it probably wasn't. The Hebrew word for city, it could mean anything from really big to really, really small. It could be just a tiny little settlement, and you would call it a city. But remember, God said that Cain was going to be a fugitive. He was going to be a wanderer. Cain showed him. Cain wasn't going to be a wanderer. He's putting down roots. He's having kids. He's building cities. He's naming his city after his first child. It's as if Cain decided, I don't need God. He's not going to rule over me. He's not going to decide what my future is. I'm going to pull myself up from my own bootstraps, and I'm going to rise like a phoenix from the ashes. And that seems to be exactly what he did. The name Enoch, it means dedicated. I think that the city was meant to stand. I think Cain intended it to stand as a testimony to his achievements. It was a trophy, so to speak, on the mantle of his life. You can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it. From there, we see five generations of Cainites laying the foundation for a flourishing civilization. We see progress. We see prosperity. And yet, at the same time, we see a further stepping away from the way things God intended it to be. Look at verse 18. To Enoch was born Ired, to Ired, fa- Ired fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zelah. You'll hear some speak, what's the problem with polygamy? It's, it's right in the Bible. Well, just because something is in the Bible doesn't mean that it's what God intended because the Bible is recording humanity's stepping away from God's plan. What's happening here is a distortion, a distortion of God's plan. It's a lifestyle of rebellion against God. Look at Genesis 2.24. God said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, And hold fast to his wife, singular, and they shall become one flesh. The two come together, they make one. From the very beginning, God designed marriage to be between one man and one woman. The goal was that the two might become one united team. Two uniquely designed individuals would come together and they would complement each other so that together they might be able to represent God. Remember, they're image bearers of God. They would represent God to the rest of the created world. But as we'll see as we continue to study Genesis, that they're continually stepping away, continually walking away from God's design to the point where it just becomes the norm. Even people who would call themselves lovers of God, they're now doing it. And it ends up bringing trouble upon trouble upon trouble. And someone might say, well, you know, that was a long time ago. That was Old Testament. Things have changed. We have progressed. We have evolved as a race. But you know, even Jesus was clear that this Old Testament teaching is still in effect. This is the way it's supposed to be. In Matthew 19, 8, Jesus calls people back to marriage the way that God intended it. One man, one woman. That's it. 
Now you would think God looking down on these people, they're just running amok here. You would think that God would have just said, pull the plug, shut it down, we're done here. You would think he would have said, enough is enough. I can't let the pinnacle of, of creatures that I've created, the ones that I've made specifically in my image to represent me to the rest of creation, I can't let them go and trample my good name in the mud. But instead, we see him allowing them to continue. They're allowed to go their way. They're allowed to prosper. What's going on here? You know, it's easy to look at human progress and assume that the favor and blessing of God is upon it. But that's not always the case. In fact, here in Genesis 4, nothing could be further from the truth. We see God giving them up to pursue life apart from him. That's what Paul understood in Romans 1. In fact, that's, that's one of the ways that God, Paul says, actually punishes people by letting them go. In Romans 1.18, he says, For the wrath of God, the anger of God, it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Well, how is it revealed? How does God show his anger down on humankind? At verse 24, Therefore, God gave them up. God gave them up in their lusts, in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men in receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Verse 28, again, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. See, when humanity decides to strike out on its own apart from God, one of the ways God punishes is to let them go. He lets them plow ahead with their plans. He lets them go on to achieve great things, things that make them think, I'm okay, everything's good, we're going to flourish as a society. We are our own salvation. He allows them to think that they have made the right choice, that their way is the best way. He lets them pursue gratification in all sorts of sinful cravings. He lets them run further and further away from him, believing the lie that life, liberty, and happiness, they can be attained apart from God. And that's, I think, what we see happening to Cain's descendants here. They excel. They excel in areas of art, music, food production, technology. They grow into a mature society with all the trappings of advanced and refined culture. Verse 20, we read of Jabel. Because the father of those who dwell in tents and are keepers of livestock, they're figuring out how do we take care of these animals? How do we get them to reproduce? How do we use them for gain? Jubal, his brother, excels in music. What a wonderful thing. We love music. Tubal, Tubal Cain, he becomes a blacksmith, no doubt forging instruments for farming, maybe for the tent making. 
maybe weapons of war. Some commentators think that they call him Tubal-Cain because they realized there was darkness attached to what he was doing. All these things, they can be useful for, for human flourishing, right? For the benefit of humanity. Music, food, production, technology. They're the building blocks of culture. And yet apart from God, these things can be, they can propel people further and further away from God. Further and further into darkness, right? I mean, you think about nuclear technology. Think about some of the benefits that have come from that. I mean, we've seen things happen in medicine and people's lives actually being saved as a result of nuclear technology. At the same time, it has brought incredible suffering, mass destruction of humanity. The contamination from nuclear fallout has, has disformed, disfigured. Generation after generation bear the consequences of that. It's brought incredible fear. Some of you lived through the, the fear of things like human missile crisis, fear of, of Korea, fear of nuclear holocaust. What did uh, Robert Oppenheimer say after the first successful nuclear blast? The radiance of a thousand suns. I am become death and the destroyer of worlds. What about advancements in drug technologies? There are some of us who we rely on, on drugs. Some of us get relief from headaches. For some of us, it's back pain that just would cripple us otherwise. Some of us, we've, we've benefited. These drugs have killed infections that we've had. They've allowed us to go on and live fruitful lives. And at the same time, drugs are used to enslave and destroy lives. What about music? You think about music, you just think of just beauty. Something that has the ability to, it, it's so weird. It, it comes in our ears, is processed in our brains, and it actually has the, somehow the power to calm us down or even lift our spirits, fill us with energy. Those of you who are out there on the treadmill and you're rocking out, that music is pumping you up and you are going. Great, I love it, music. And yet at the same time, music is used to complement stories that go up on the screens that we look at, often stories of immorality, making things look normal that should be forbidden, making things look good that are actually bad, making things look moral that are actually everything but. Advancements in music, agriculture, technology, these aren't indicators that society has achieved life, liberty, and happiness. Neither are they evidence of God's approval or God's blessing. Think of Nazi Germany. A society that was absolutely technologically advanced. They were appreciators, they were lovers of art. They were wealthy, they were prospering. And yet we know of the unspeakable evils that came from that flourishing society. 
We may look at these things and we, they may be a testimony to God's goodness in this way. They can be a testimony of God's goodness in creating humanity with incredible intelligence, incredible creativity, incredible ingenuity, but none of these things can save us. They may give us the impression that we're advancing, that humanity, that we're improving, that we're moving towards a better and more perfect world. What's it going to be like a hundred years from now? But that's a false impression. For all the advancements that the descendants of Cain were enjoying, they weren't enough to stop the spread of darkness that was growing inside the human heart. They weren't enough. Look at verse 23. Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. What kind of man is this? What kind of sick twisted person sings a song in celebration of the violent acts that he's committed in the name of revenge. What should have brought this guy shame and sorrow, Lamech wore around his neck like an Olympic medal. Apparently human life meant next to nothing to him. This was a society, I think, that was becoming more violent. They gloried in violence, a culture that was increasingly proud of brutality. Lamech was a man who wanted everyone else to know, don't you mess with me. Don't you step on my territory. You better fear me. You better walk on eggshells when you're around me. Don't you dare cut me off on the freeway. Don't you even think about taking advantage of me. Don't look at me funny. I'm going to throw down thunder on you like you can't imagine. Just look at that kid who thought he could wound me and get away with it. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. You know, that's a reference to what God said just a few verses earlier. God said, if, if anyone takes revenge for what Cain did, if anyone kills Cain, that it's coming back to them seven times. He'd punish them sevenfold for taking the life of Cain in vengeance. Lamech says, sevenfold? You're afraid of God? Forget God. I'm going to repay 77-fold. How many movies stream on our screens that send this same kind of message, that celebrate this kind of behavior? We make heroes out of those who will... We'll take people down and we'll mop the floor with those who have done them wrong. We love it when guys like Liam Neeson say, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Interestingly enough, Peter asked Jesus, Matthew 18, 21, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't be like Lamech. You be the opposite of Lamech. 
In Genesis 4, we see the, the rise, the emergence of civilization. We see a people apparently prospering, even though they're walking away from God. But along with that prosperity comes a further descent into darkness. That's because, well, you may see signs of progress. You cannot have true life, liberty, and happiness apart from God. You cannot have it. Culture apart from God is counterculture. God said to Cain in Genesis 4, 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. That's exactly what human advancements and accomplishments in art, music, technology, or anything else apart from God, that's what they become. They become contrary to you. Even if they're not directly meant for evil, so often they're used to draw our attention away from worship and reliance on God, aren't they? And we're led to worship things like music and food and beauty and technology instead of God. And in that way, we're directed away from true life, liberty, and happiness. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. We read in verse 25 that after Abel was killed, he had another son named Seth. Eve says, or Eve, Eve had Seth. Eve declares, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. You see, God's promise to send this one who would crush the serpent's head and bring hope for humanity that didn't die with Abel. Through the line of Seth, God would bring about the one who would come. He would be the radical, countercultural one who would become the savior of the world, and yet he would do it in a completely different way than the world would expect him to do it. He wouldn't save by the sword or the spear. He wouldn't save through fancy, clever speeches and arguments. He wouldn't save by taking vengeance. He would save by laying down his life, a sacrifice, a ransom in payment for your sin and my sin. Those sailing in a New York harbor, they were full of hope, so full of enthusiasm. They look forward to this new life. What's going to happen? They look forward to newfound liberty like they never experienced before. They looked forward to pursuing happiness. But apart from God, they would never fully realize any of those things because while a civilization may show signs of progress, of, of life, liberty, and happiness, they won't find it unless they look for it in God and with God. Kent Hughes, he sums it up this way. Our text provides us a paradigm, an outline to understand civilization and culture today and its ostensible rise with the increase of abundance, music, uh, in abundance, music, arts, and technology. It rises impressively, but in its rise there is demise because of sin. The only hope is to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the only hope for culture. This is the only hope for your soul. This is the only hope for the church to call upon the name of the Lord who is Jesus Christ. 
And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And we come to the table this morning. We come to the table this morning celebrating the great work. The only one who was the way, the truth, and the life. Would those who are going to help serve communion, would they come forward?